This is The Guardian. Today, the Liz Truss era begins. What can Britain expect from its new Prime Minister? It was a race that dragged on all summer. And in the end, it was down to Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak to battle it out to become the next Prime Minister. But by the time the two of them entered the Queen Elizabeth Hall yesterday lunchtime, there wasn't much suspense over the final result. The Guardian's political editor, Pippa Carrera, was there. Actually, it all started just before we entered the room, as I was crowding in amongst other journalists and Conservative MPs and members and officials. We spotted Liz Truss heading up stairs in the Queen Elizabeth Conference Centre in a lift. And as she walked into the lift, there was a big grin on her face, which I suppose belied the fact she already knew that she had been, she'd won the Tory crown. Rishi Sunak, 60,399. Liz Truss, 81,326. Therefore, I give notice that Liz Truss is elected as the leader of the Conservative and Unionist Party. Barely looking behind her, or even offering her defeated opponent a handshake, suddenly the Liz Truss era had begun. I'd like to thank the 1922 committee, the party chairman and the Conservative Party for organising one of the longest job interviews in history. Thank you very much. The speech itself was a bit underwhelming, really. Boris, you got Brexit done. It was a really quite awkward tribute to Boris Johnson when she said was you were admired, admired from Kiev to Carlisle. To Carlisle. Really forgetting, I guess, that the Tories lost the new Cumberland Council, which takes in Carlisle at the May elections. I campaigned as a Conservative and I will govern as a Conservative. <laughs> And that's going to be one to watch because, of course, our assumption is that she pitched to the right to win over the Tory membership, which is obviously further to the right than the, the rest of the population, and that she will inevitably have to pitch back a little bit towards the centre as she kind of goes over the Tory members' heads and talks to the country at large. I will deliver a bold plan to cut taxes and grow our economy. And then a really significant moment, I felt, was when she appeared to rule at an early election. And we will deliver a great victory for the Conservative Party in 2024. Thank you. Thank you. Truss's campaign pledges have been vague, and she has been accused of backtracking on her own ideas. But she is now taking over a country in the grip of a cost-of-living emergency. The job ahead is enormous. She repeatedly said that we will deliver, we will deliver, we will deliver. That's kind of like her catchphrase, if you like. We will deliver, we will deliver, and we will deliver. She will really have to if she wants to survive as Prime Minister. From The Guardian, I'm Noshi Nikbal. Today in Focus, how will Prime Minister Liz Truss face up to a winter of crisis? Pippa, Liz Truss won 57% of the vote from Tory party members to Sunak's 43% to become Britain's next Prime Minister. 
It didn't actually feel as big a win as we were all expecting. What did you make of the size of Truss's victory? Well, you're absolutely right. She's the only Tory leader whose selection has gone to the Tory membership out of Ian Duncan Smith, David Cameron and Boris Johnson to secure less than 60% of the vote. There was, of course, no members vote for Theresa May. And right from the off, we were having these polls of Tory party members that were suggesting that she was absolutely going to trounce Rishi Sunak. I am the underdog. The forces that be want this to be a coronation for the other candidate. But I think... And then throughout the campaign, the indications were that there would be a big gap between them. As you say, it possibly isn't as close as expected. People in the Sunak campaign suggest that's because 25,000 Tory members voted in the last week and that as the campaign went on, Sunak kind of appeared buoyed and was kind of on the up in a way that he hadn't been right at the start. They suggest that if the campaign had gone on even longer, God forbid, Mm. he might even have reached a point where he caught up with her. Obviously, that didn't happen. But I think, you know, very quickly, not least because the right wing press decided that Truss was their woman and they backed her vociferously, the campaign was kind of quite one sided as it went along. And actually, of course, the reality was that Tory party membership was a, a little bit more equally split than that. But weirdly, even though Truss has won the leadership race, she isn't officially yet prime minister. But can you talk us through what happens now? So Liz Truss is, of course, prime minister-elect and doesn't become PM until she has been offered the job effectively by the Queen. So this morning, Boris Johnson is going to be delivering a departure speech from outside Downing Street and then he will hop on a plane, travelling separately from Liz Truss for security reasons, up to Scotland, where both of them will travel to Balmoral. And Boris Johnson will see the Queen and step down and then, of course, Liz Truss will go in and have her appointment confirmed. And at that moment, she will emerge from Balmoral as our Prime Minister before travelling back down to London later today and addressing the nation from outside Downing Street, possibly about four o'clock today, where we should hopefully hear a little bit more about what she plans to do in office. Well, when this race began all those weeks ago, it felt like Rishi Sunak had the slickest campaign. He was in the driving seat. To many, he felt like the most credible option. How do you think Liz Truss turned it around to finally secure this win? I think there's a couple of key things. One was that she and her campaign, aided, I have to say, by Boris Johnson's team, managed to sort of create this narrative that had been Rishi Sunak that stuck the knife into Boris Johnson and was responsible for his downfall. Many people, unfortunately, see that you've stabbed him in the back. How do you expect to take the party through the next general election? So, what, you know, why did I resign? It was a very difficult decision. Of course, I would argue that only Boris Johnson was responsible for his downfall. However, it is true that Rishi Sunak quit his job and a prime minister losing his chancellor is very difficult to come back from that. He was fighting against that from the off because, of course, Boris Johnson remains incredibly popular among Tory members, according to the polls, more popular even than Liz Truss. And they also regard loyalty as being extremely important. So he was seen to have been disloyal. The other thing that she did successfully was pitch to the right. And uh, she very quickly recognised what the touchstone issues would be for Tory members, things like tax cuts. Well, what I'm promising is from day one, people will have lower taxes attacks on identity politics as part of the culture wars. And frankly, too much of the debate has been dominated by left-wing identity politics. And I know that a woman is a woman. 
the deprioritization of things like the environment, focusing on the economy and growth, really kind of like Thatcherite sort of approach to, to public policy. That absolutely ticked the boxes with Tory members in a way that Rishi Sunak, who was delivering really a message to the public as much as he was to the membership and quite a difficult message of dealing with inflation before you got to the business of cutting taxes. It wasn't necessarily a very popular message with Tory voters that are desperate for tax cuts now. But it does feel like the country doesn't actually quite know Liz Truss yet, how she speaks or really what she stands for, certainly not at the level that Boris Johnson was when he became Prime Minister. So, Pippa, what is she like up close? What does she believe in? Well, she's been very keen to promote herself as Thatcher Mark II and to focus on all the sort of the Thatcherite policies of small state and cutting taxes. But I think if you look more closely at Liz Truss, what she's managed to do over time is to reincarnate herself. And in that, she's not dissimilar to Boris Johnson. She's kind of played to the crowd, if you like. We've seen her from being a Remainer who ended up uh, supporting Brexit. We've seen her as a, a Lib Dem who became a Conservative member and now a Conservative Prime Minister. She has this capacity to reinvent herself. So I think this sort of like you know, hardline Thatcher-like approach that we've seen over the last two months of the Tory leadership contest has achieved its job. It's won her the support of the Tory membership. I suspect now she will reincarnate herself slightly more in somebody that's slightly more accessible to the rest of the country. And certainly for people in, in the red wall seats that Boris Johnson managed to win in 2019, managed to sort of prop up that fragile coalition that exists between them and the more sort of traditional Southern Tory two blue voters, which he managed to do and then secured himself a huge victory. She'll have to do that if she wants to have any chance of winning the next election. So as you said, she does seem to politically flip-flop and she does have a reputation for seeming somewhat strange in that her delivery often feels awkward and she is quite prone to gaffes. Pippa, is that a fair assessment? I think it is, because if you look at her record in office and also the leadership campaign, those things are obviously palpably true. We saw... For example, she suggested a policy on regional pay earlier in the campaign, which was very swiftly attacked by Tory MPs, particularly from the North, who thought it undermined their levelling up promises. And she dropped that like a hot potato. We saw it with our story about her leaked comments about British workers needing a bit more graft and attack on, on working people. There's a fundamental issue of British working culture and what needs to happen is to me a bit more... Uh... More graft. <laughs> I mean, there's a gaffe if ever there was one. And we've seen it in her, some of her delivery, even in her speech, her acceptance speech, when she was uh, announced as the new Tory leader. She kind of has this slightly sort of stilted delivery. But we all will deliver for our, for our country. And I will make sure that we use all the fantastic talents. Awkward pauses that make people cringe a little bit, really. I actually think she's much more effective when she's speaking more naturally or in a conversation, uh, when it's almost when it's not so pre-planned. And I, I think, you know, her team will, will be trying to work on that. But yeah, she privately is kind of quite warm and jokey and tactile and uh, has a sharp wit and a keen sense of humour. I'm not sure that comes across necessarily in some of her delivery is quite leaden and staid. So I think like many politicians should be trying to inject a bit more of that private, that sort of personal energy into what is currently quite a sort of a serious public persona. Although, of course, we are in serious times. So, you know, she have to be careful she doesn't overplay it. 
But despite those perceived flaws or sort of awkwardness on her part, you don't rise so quickly to the top of Tory ranks by accident. Do you think there's a danger of underestimating her? Oh, definitely. And I think more for the political opponent who writes her off immediately. I mean, look, she has an overflowing entry of really difficult issues. She will need a huge amount of luck. She'll need the global economy and energy prices to go her way. She'll need to announce a huge package of support, even to get off the ground with this premiership. But as you say, she's emerged from somebody that was really sort of a lesser known minister right up to the top of government and now to the top job itself. So she obviously has the capacity to fight hard to prove herself. And you speak to people that have worked with her over the years, either as civil servants and politicians, and they almost uniformly say that she works really hard, that she puts the effort in, that she's really across the detail, that she does her red boxes, that she's a very logical thinker. She maybe lacks a bit of empathy and isn't necessarily a good communicator emotionally, which I think she'll need to develop but that when it comes to sort of making decisions she's very sort of pragmatic about them and likes to weigh up the evidence so yes it would be obviously very dangerous for the opposition to write her off as somebody that uh, you know you, you hear stuff of people questioning her in intellect and so on but I've spoken to lots of her friends and colleagues about her own personal ambition but one thing that seems to have driven her more than anything is this desire to prove them wrong. Nonetheless, the country is facing enormous crises ahead. Pippa, you've mentioned the Prime Minister's entry. What's in it? Well, first and foremost is obviously the cost of living crisis. So from October, the energy price cap will increase to £3,549. And we're expecting to see this week, finally, some of the detail about what she's planning to do to help households. It sounds as though we'll get some sort of energy price freeze so that bills are frozen. If I'm elected as Prime Minister, within one week, I will make sure there is an announcement on how we are going to deal with the issue of energy bills and of long-term supply to put this country on the right footing for winter. What we're still waiting to hear about is how that might be paid for, whether it's through more borrowing or whether the cost is passed on to the consumer over a longer period of time, paid for in the short term by the government or government-backed loans for the energy companies. So we'll get some of that detail. But of course, that's the number one issue in her inbox because so many hundreds of thousands, millions of people are really going to be struggling this winter. Inflation is soaring to double digit figures. Wages are stagnating. There's a prospect of a recession. This obviously isn't just households it's going to affect. It's also businesses too. And it's the ongoing impact of that. So that's the big number one issue. And of course, her inbox isn't just restricted to the cost of living crisis. There is the state of the NHS, which for many people is a huge worry. In my view, it's not about more money. It's about the culture and lots of people in the NHS who, who I know and you know, talk to say you know, there is waste. You know, there's waste of prescription drugs, there's waste of resources. The NHS's own leaders say that it's on its knees. There's uh, huge issues with delays for appointments in hospitals, huge waiting lists for procedures, people unable to get GPs appointments. Added to that, it's had all the pressure that arose as a result of the pandemic and it's still recovering from that. There's also obviously the foreign in-tray and Boris Johnson was very clear that during the conflict with Russia as one of his biggest international priorities he visited Kyiv. I think that's something that she will be keen to demonstrate early on as she underlines the ongoing support that the British government's going to give to the Ukrainians. And of course there is Brexit. 
it's been such a sort of overriding issue for the last few years. And this trust has taken as foreign secretary and in charge of the Brexit negotiations laterally a really tough line when it comes to the thorny issue of the Northern Ireland protocol, the Northern Ireland border and the trading arrangements there. The last thing she needs right now is a trade war with our closest trading partner. And she frankly could do without the domestic or the domestic political fight with her own backbenchers, who, of course, have over the years shown us that they're capable of imploding over Brexit. Pippa, despite all of that, and it is quite a chaotic position for her to become prime minister in. But the one thing that could completely define her leadership is the one that's worrying most of us, which is the cost of living crisis. Now, gas prices jumped up again on Monday. Throughout her campaign, she refused to consider a package of relief on energy bills and said that cutting taxes would be the answer. What I don't believe in is taxing people to the highest level in 70 years and then giving them their own money back. Now, she's not necessarily known for consistencies and she seems to be shifting position again. But what do we know about her plan so far? Well, you're right. She's been on quite a journey on this, hasn't she? I remember right at the beginning, she did an interview where she absolutely was scathing about the prospect of handouts and suggesting that she would not be doing that. And then here we are speculating as to what scale the handouts are going to be. I mean, there's some suggestion that it could be a package of about £100 billion worth of support. She's apparently told her key allies, warned them off criticising Labour's energy bill freeze plan too strongly. The energy industry itself seems to be under the impression that there'll be some sort of cap in place that will mean that households won't see their gas and electricity bills going up any further this winter. That will have to be paid for, particularly if it ends up being tens of billions of pounds worth of support. Kwasi Kwarteng, who we're expecting to be a chancellor, has talked about now being the right conditions for some sort of fiscal loosening. Sounds to me like they might be planning to borrow more, just slap it all on the public debt. Or another option is that they could um, pass on the cost ultimately to the consumer by offering some sort of government-backed loan to energy firms in the short term, which would ultimately be paid back by the taxpayer or in people's bills over the longer term. So we're starting to get an idea of what she might do. She's already said she will deliver on that national insurance cut. I would immediately reverse the national insurance increase. I would also have a temporary moratorium on the green energy level to save people money on fuel bills. She's certainly come a very long way from the beginning of the contest when, of course, she was so scathing about any handouts at all to now where we're expecting a huge multi-billion pound package of support to be set out within days. Do you think that a lot of Truss's hardline posturing was for the benefit of the campaign and to appeal to the most right wing of the Tory party base and essentially get the keys to number 10? And now that she's in, we may actually get a dialed down, more moderate premiership from Truss. Absolutely. I mean, one thing we've learned about her is that she knows her audience in the Conservative Party and all of the key issues which Tory members cared about. You could just see her sort of ticking the boxes as she went through on all of the the hustings, mentioning tax cuts, mentioning the smaller state, the sort of culture war attacks on on woke civil service and the BBC. I think it's almost inevitable that we'll see her moderating some of that now and dialing down the rhetoric a little bit. She knows that time is not on her side. She's basically got several weeks to show through a policy blitz that she can get the government back onto the front foot and start to make really serious positive steps to help people through the cost of living crisis. If she fails to do that and fails to get any sort of polling bounce from the general public, then her Tory MPs, who are ready, not necessarily all of them, massive Liz Truss supporters, 
supporters are going to start to get very antsy. There's already talk of another leadership contest before the next election. I don't think we can bear it. And uh, she's only just in office. (laughs) And what might this policy blitz mean for her supporter base, the people who actually got her into number 10, who you can't imagine will love the idea of supposed government handouts worth tens of billions of pounds? I think that they'll recognise that it is an inevitable consequence of the situation that we find ourselves in. And as long as there's sort of the red meat of tax cuts for the backbenchers, that they'll be able to live with the rest of it. If they want Liz Truss to be successful and the Conservatives to have any chance at the next election, I mean, it seems incredible us saying that when they won such a massive majority just a few years ago. But if the Conservatives are going to hang on to power at the next election, then she needs to be able to have been seen to deliver on the key promises she made to the members and beyond them, the country. And if she can't do that, then it's game over. But what about the rest of the party? Because it does feel quite fractured right now. During the leadership campaign, the candidates, as we saw them, and those who were supporting them, did criticise each other quite bluntly. Pippa, do you think the Conservatives can get over their differences? And will Trust really be able to unite the party behind her? I think it's a really, really big ask and it's going to be incredibly difficult for her. As you say, the campaign has been really bruising. Even before the membership part of the campaign began, she was only backed by less than a third of Tory MPs. And at one point, it looked like she wouldn't make the final two at all. So she has got a big uphill struggle to win over some very sceptical Tory backbenchers who think that not only is she personally not equipped for the job, but that her strategy for getting through the cost of living crisis is the wrong one. And there's nothing to suggest that Rishi Sunak is going to come on board and wholeheartedly and publicly support her now. In fact, he's sort of sitting, waiting and watching, waiting to be proven right, to be on the right side of history. And he's not alone in that. There's a big chunk of the Conservative Party that thinks that her strategy is the wrong one. And let's not forget that much of what she's going to set out in the coming weeks and months is going to require legislation. So she's also going to need the support in the House itself. Her chief whip's going to have a big job, I think, and she's going to have to do some serious wooing of her backbenchers, who I think in the short term, the first few days, publicly at least, will ruin behind her. But I think it's a relationship which is a very fragile one, and we could see it breaking apart sooner rather than later. Coming up, how will Keir Starmer and the Labour Party adapt to Liz Truss? Pippa, do you think Liz Truss as PM will force Labour to change direction or strategy at all? Everybody I've spoken to on the Labour side, whether it's part of Keir Starmer's team or shadow cabinet ministers or Labour backbenchers, all seem to be agreed that they mustn't underestimate Liz Truss. I mean, we saw the dynamic that existed between her and Rishi Sunak early on in the contest, and he was accused of kind of like mansplaining and talking over her. I don't believe this negative, declinist language It's your own economic advisor, Liz. It's not mine. It's your own advisor. I have lots of economists that are backing my plans. Everybody thinks... Sort of dismissing her, and some of his allies suggested she wasn't up to the job. Keir Starmer's got to be very careful that he doesn't do the same as that and end up actually bolstering support for Liz Truss among the public. So I think they're very aware that they can't underestimate her. He needs to be aware that she could end up being a lucky prime minister and things could go well for her. She could make the right decisions policy-wise when it comes to the cost of living crisis. And we could see in the next year inflation coming down, 
recession being short-lived and the economy starting to tick upwards again just in time for the next general election. So they're going to have to plan this very carefully. Already we're seeing early signs that they're going to suggest that she is too ideological and too committed to sort of the Thatcherite vision, that she thinks tax cuts are fair, that she believes in trickle-down economics and she wants to focus on growth. They're sort of pushing an open door when it comes to her being, you know, an ideologue. But at the same time, she's also shown herself to be eminently practical and logical when it comes to decisions. So I think we could see her being pretty dexterous, actually, pretty flexible in some of these policy areas. And as a result, Labour are going to have to be nimble as well and ready to respond whichever direction she goes in. Well, you said she's ruled out the idea of a snap election, but can you imagine any circumstances in which one might be called? I think if she did call one, it would have to be sooner rather than later. I guess imagine she sets out a big energy support package, which goes down well with the public. Before the pain of double digit inflation and stagnating wages really hits this autumn and people have to start paying those bills, which obviously will go up for many people as as the colder months come. There's a sort of a narrow window of time where if she gets a poll bounce, you can see her wanting to capitalise on that and, and secure her majority for another five years. But I think it's actually really unlikely. Pippa, Boris Johnson was brought down by a series of scandals, many of them exposed by your reporting. Do you think that era of sleaze is now over? Is Liz Truss a return to a more normal kind of politics, whatever that might mean? That's a really good question, because I think the honest answer is we don't know. She, as Foreign Secretary, seemed fairly comfortable with pushing the sort of normal conventions, if you like, when it came to dealings with the European Union over Brexit. There was lots of talk of the government breaking international law to get what it wanted on the Northern Ireland Protocol. And the suggestion seems to be that she would be willing to do that. So we might end up seeing more of the rewritten rules of politics under trust. Also in personal integrity and probity. We'll have to see what comes. Ultimately, that's what brought Boris Johnson down. We've still got the Privileges Committee inquiry this autumn, which Liz Truss has said she would vote against. The key tenant of Rishi Sunak's campaign was that they needed to restore trust in government. That trust in government, and the Tories in particular, is taking a severe beating while Boris Johnson's been in power. And it doesn't yet look like Liz Truss has that as a high enough priority to winning back public faith. She hasn't committed to reappointing an ethics advisor. Uh, Boris Johnson lost two in power. She's said that she doesn't think that there should be a privileges committee into Boris Johnson's Partygate comments. And we know very little about who funds her. So I think there's going to be lots of questions about her own integrity and probity, which will continue. And the onus is going to be on her to convince the public that even though she's the continuity Boris candidate, in this area at least, she's going to be something different. Pippa, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. That was Pippa Crera. You can follow all her reporting and more from the politics team at theguardian.com. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Tom Glasser and Klitsia Sala. Sound design is by Solomon King. The executive producers are Phil Maynard, Huma Khalili and Elizabeth Kassin. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian.